0: When you hear the word church, what comes to mind? Is it something like this? A building? A place? Maybe this church, right? We use that word church to talk about the place where we gather. Or maybe it's something like this. People. The body. Here's a picture from our summer retreat last last summer. Uh, The people make up the church, right? If you think of people, when that word, when you hear that word church, do you imagine those people primarily doing this? Gathered inside the building, worshiping God, gathered on a Sunday morning? Um, Or do you think of them like this? Out in the community, being God's presence around the place, reaching out to people. That's a picture of some of us Christmas caroling on 8th Avenue that, that happened. Um, maybe the word church brings up all those images um, in your mind, or, or maybe other ones too, as, as you think about it. And although you know, there, there's truth really to all of those images, that, that, that we use that word church right to, to express all those different things, um, I would argue that I think this last picture is really the, the heart of the image that we get of the church in the New Testament. Um, that when that, that God has, has, has formed us as his body, as his church, not to just gather inside of a building, but he's formed us as his church to send us into the world, to be his representatives, to proclaim the good news to the people around us. Uh, we do gather as the, as the church, and, the, and we need to gather as the church. But when you think about it, we are the church, right? We are the people. Where do we spend most of our time during the week? outside of this building, right? And so when we think about who we are as the church, the primary place where we are living out our calling in our lives as the church, guess what? It's not here. It's out there in our lives. Um, Over the next three Sundays, we are going to be looking at the idea of the church on mission. We are the church. And God has a mission in this world To reach people with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And God's mission has a church. Sometimes we think about that that the church has a mission. But maybe a better way to think of it is that God's mission has a church. God's mission is the primary thing. And he's given us, he's he's equipped us and sent us as the church to fulfill that mission in the world. Um, That mission is not something that we are involved with just a couple hours a week. But actually, God's mission is something that defines every hour of every day, of every week, of every year of our lives. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are always on mission in our lives as the church. So over the next three Sundays, we're going to be specifically looking at how that looks outside the walls of this church. We're going to look at three different settings where God calls us to be the church on mission, where he calls us to be his representatives in this world. Um, in his book, The Great Good Place, uh, the sociologist Ray Oldenburg coined the language of first, second, and third places. Uh, your first place is where you live. Your second place is where you work or kind of maybe where you, you know, spend a lot of that you know, You're know you sort of producing something maybe. And third places are common spaces that you share with people outside of your home and outside of work. So over these next three Sundays, we're going to look at how we are called to be the church on mission in each of those three environments, how we're called to be the church on mission at home, at work, and in third spaces, in places, public spaces, places around um, coffee shops and diners and 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 wherever we gather with with people in our in our lives. So today we're going to look at the church on mission at home. How do we live out the mission that God has given the church in the context of where we live in our homes? And although today is Mother's Day, I'm not talking primarily about raising children in the faith at home. Or, or how we love and serve one another in our families, although both of those things are incredibly important. That's part of God's mission, right? Especially those who are parents, to raise our children. But I want us to think about today how we, all of us, can use our homes, wherever we live, each of us lives somewhere, how we can use that place to reach out to people beyond our family and beyond maybe just our individual lives, if, if we're living alone, possibly. So how can we be the church on mission through and in the place where we live? Uh, the way we're going to explore that idea is by looking at a passage of Scripture that, that shows us a particular incident in the ministry of Jesus, where Jesus and his disciples were gathered and spending some time in someone's home. Um, And so we're going to find out about whose home that was and what that was all about. So our passage this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. We'll have those verses on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. So Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would open our ears um, and our eyes to see how you are calling us to be your church. On mission, and how that might happen in the places where we live, where each of us lives in our homes and, and our neighborhoods, um, and so Lord, give us ears to hear you um, inspire us, Lord, through your holy Spirit, Lord, uh, to be uh, to have a hunger to be your people on mission in our lives today, um, and so we just pray you lead us now in jesus name, Amen, as we look at this idea of of being the church on mission at home. We're going to start by kind of first just looking at what does that look like practically? I mean, how does that look in our day-to-day lives if we are seeking to be the church on mission um, at home in the places where we live? And then we're going to look at some of the barriers that sometimes keep us from living that way. What are some of the things that get in the way of being on mission through our homes? And then um, we'll kind of finish up by looking at how we can move beyond those barriers, how we can actually Put these things into practice in our lives? What what would inspire us and give us the ability to move past those barriers into being in mission through our homes? So the first thing is, what does it mean to be on mission at home? What does that look like practically? How can we be involved in God's mission in and through the place uh, where we live? Well, one very practical step in being on mission where we live is getting to know our neighbors, getting to know Our neighbors. When I say neighbors, I mean your literal neighbors. The people who live next door to you, across the street from you, or across the hall in an apartment building. Have you ever thought that God has placed you where you are living right now as His representative to your neighbors? That He has you there for a purpose, not to witness to someone in another neighborhood or across the city, but to witness and be his presence to the people who you live next to. You're not going to be able to represent him very well if you don't know your neighbors, though. In the book, The Art of Neighboring, the authors Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon uh, give a simple exercise to help gauge how well you know your neighbors. They show a a nine-box grid looking something like this that represents kind of where you live. So right in the middle there is your home. And those other eight boxes around it represent eight residences that are closest to where you live. So that could be neighboring homes, or it could be um, neighboring apartments, if you live in an apartment building, depending on where you live. And, and the challenge that, he, that they give in this book is to write the names of those eight people who live closest to you in each of those boxes. Just writing their names, maybe just their first name, if you, if you know it. And they say that only 10% of people are able to fill all eight of those boxes with the people who, you live, who live right around you. When I did this myself, I could only come up with five, to be honest. Five of the closest neighbors around me, I could, I could list their names, but I couldn't get to eight. Then he says, here's the next step. Let's say you get all eight of those names around there. Then you write down information about each person, something that you, you've learned about that person through a conversation, not just you know observe, but, but through actually talking to them, something about maybe the, the things that they like to do, uh, maybe where they work or where they used to work or where they grew up. So you list just kind of information about them. He says that only 3% of people can do that for all eight of their neighbors. And then he says, go a little bit deeper, Next, write down something that's a little bit more in depth about those neighbors. Maybe, uh, maybe their, their goals and their vision, kind of something that, that their, their heartbeat. Maybe it's a, like a, tra- a tragedy that that family went through, something that they've gone through and you know about it. You know kind of what happened in their lives. Maybe it's about how they view God what their religious background is, you've, where you've had a conversation where you've gotten to talk about spiritual things with that person. They, the authors say that only 1% of people are able to do that with all eight of their neighbors who they live next to. Um, it was convicting to me when I was reading this and realizing that, you know what, I do not know my neighbors very well. I don't know them like that. I can And there's maybe a couple of them that I've had a deeper conversation with. But can I say that the, that the people that God has placed me with, the people who I live next to, who I'm going to have the possibility of bumping shoulders with every single day of my life, do I know them? Do I know their stories? Do I know who they are? And, and my guess is that many of you, if not most of you, can probably relate to that too. Could you do that? Could you list all eight of them? Could you... Put that kind of information in. We're going to think in a, in a minute about why that is so hard. Why, why what are the barriers that, that prevent us from doing that? Um, but another way to be on mission at home, so the first step is just to get to know our neighbors. That's a way that we can be on mission where we're living, is getting to know them, the people who, who live around us. Another way to be on mission at home is then opening our homes to our neighbors and to others. Opening our homes to our neighbors. In our text that I just read this morning from Mark 2, we we heard that Jesus calls Levi, a tax collector, to follow him as as one of his disciples. And Levi gets up from his tax collector's booth. He follows Jesus. um, And what what, what that means is when he gets up to follow Jesus, it means that he now joins Jesus' mission of finding other people to follow him. Levi is now a part of God's mission, Jesus' mission. And where do we see Levi next after he leaves his tax collector's booth? Where do we see him? We see him at home, right? We see him back in his house. But what's he doing? He's throwing a party where Jesus and Jesus' disciples and a bunch of tax collectors and sinners are all gathered together, hanging out at Levi's house. Tax collectors like him. He was a tax collector. That word, that term "sinners um, and in that culture at that time there is, it had more of a technical term, not just kind of a general idea of we're all sinners, but but these were kind of a group of people in that society that, that particularly did not strictly follow the Jewish law that the Pharisees sort of imposed, saying that they have to. so the, this is kind of a group of people that were considered outcasts in the society in Israel. they were kind of looked at as their, their they are lesser than because they're not serious about God's law. They're not serious about acting morally. And so where are these people, these tax collectors, these sinners? They're all at Levi's house hanging out with Jesus and with Jesus' disciples. Levi opens his home to these other people, to his friends, to his neighbors, people who he wants to introduce to Jesus. How do you view your home Do you see your home as a place where you can escape from the outside world? Or do you see it as a place where you can invite the outside world to be brought near into your life? Do you see your home as a place where you can do ministry? Where you can get to know those neighbors? Where you can get to know people like Levi? Levi? A couple weeks ago, I was at a conference in Orlando, uh, Florida, called Exponential, and at one of the workshops that I attended, there's a pastor who was describing how most of the ministry of his church happens in people's homes. Um, They gather in homes to pray and to study the Bible together, which is similar to how some of our small groups function, too. But the more, the more significant and most significant ministry that happens in people's homes in that church is not getting together as just Christians to hang out together in small groups, but it's times when people in that church open their homes and invite both Christians and friends and neighbors who are not Christians to hang out together, to eat together, to spend time together. For, uh, and they do this regularly. This is something that they've kind of incorporated as a rhythm in their lives. For example, one family invites a couple of, of neighboring families over for dinner. A couple of neighbors they've, they've started to get to know in their neighborhood. And they invite them over maybe for, to, to grill on the barbecue or something. They're, they're not believers, but they invite them to come over. And then they invite a couple of families from their church to come over too, to join them. And over the next couple hours... There's mingling there's conversation there's relationship building happening between these people who are not believers but neighbors and these other people who are believers and and the conversations that happen just kind of naturally over those couple hours they will probably connect those neighboring families much more deeply into those other families from the church way more than if if they were to just invite those families to come to an event at the church building or to a Sunday morning worship service. Not that those things are bad, but the connections that are made in a home over dinner, as you're getting to know one another, as you have time to talk, man, that begins to do something. So what gets in the way of doing this? What are some of the barriers to being on mission in our homes, to getting to know our neighbors and thinking about our our homes as as places? Let's look at at the barriers to being on mission at home. I think one of the barriers is time. Many of us just have busy, jam-packed schedules that, that we don't leave time to get to know our neighbors or to open our homes to them. Or we just fill our schedules and our time with so much stuff. A helpful concept up here is the idea of margin. Um, on, on a page of a book, if you take a look at a book, every single page in every book that you probably own has something similar that happens. Where you look on the sides of it, what, what do you see? Margin, right? You see blank space on the top and the side and the bottom. You don't see words all the way to the, the edge from the very top to the very bottom. And the thing is, if you had a book that had no margins, it would be very overwhelming probably to read that book, right? There's something about that, that over time people have realized that, that there's something about having margins, space that's there, that allows you to read more easily, that kind of invites you into um, experiencing that book the way that it's meant to be experienced. And the reality is... The same is true in our lives. When we have no margin in our lives, when, when everything that we're doing is jam-packed to every nook and cranny, where there's no space, there's no time just to be down, to, where we're not scheduling something, our lives feel overcrowded. Our lives feel overwhelmed. And, and what happens is that we don't have time to build relationships with our neighbors. Or open our homes when we're feeling overwhelmed. When we're feeling like we have no margin. In the book, Next Door as It Is in Heaven, Living Out God's Kingdom in Your Neighborhood, uh, the authors of that book, Lance Ford and Brad Briscoe, say this: say relationships happen in the margins. When there is no margin, it is impossible to welcome others into our lives. Without margin, We are incapable of relational spontaneity in our neighborhood. Margin creates buffers. It gives us room to breathe, freedom to act, and time to adapt. Do you have margin in your life? Do you have have time where, where if you're coming home from something that if you see your neighbor outside, you actually have the time to go strike up a conversation with them? Or are you rushing to the next thing? Again, I feel convicted of this myself. Oftentimes, I'm just rushing from the next thing to the next thing. And I don't leave margin. I don't leave space for those moments where God may just call us to a God-ordained appointment with someone. Do we have time and space in our lives where opening up our home to someone doesn't feel overwhelming to us? But it feels like we have space, we have time to do that with our neighbors. Another barrier to being on mission at home is comfort. Getting to know our neighbors is not always a comfortable process. It means being very intentional. It means getting to know people who maybe you wouldn't be naturally drawn to. We don't get to choose our neighbors. Maybe you don't feel naturally drawn to someone, and that, and that feels uncomfortable. Maybe it's someone who you're, you're, you don't really like them all that much, but they're still your neighbor. God has called you to love. Sometimes the uncomfortability of, of reaching out in our, in our homes and our neighbors is that it means taking risks to go deeper with people. It's uncomfortable to ask deeper questions, right? It's, it's easy just to keep our relationship with our neighbors on a surface level, just sort of talking about the weather, talking about what's happening in the news or or sports team whatever but to actually take that to a deeper level and start getting to know them where there might be an opportunity to actually bring the gospel to bear that's that's not comfortable it takes risk opening your home to people can often clash with our comfort. Many of us, we view our homes, again, as as a place of comfort and safety. It's a place where we try to retreat to and we want to keep it nice and comfortable. So inviting people into your home, especially if you don't know them very well, that feels uncomfortable, feels stretching. And even if you do know them well, it can still be stretching to invite people into your home if it's not something that you do regularly, right? It's vulnerable to invite people into the space where you live. In our text, the Pharisees were uncomfortable. They were uncomfortable with Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. So you can imagine how uncomfortable they would have been interacting with those sinners and tax collectors themselves out in the world. Or or can you imagine them inviting them to come over to their homes? No, of course not. They felt that uncomfortability about about these people. Why would he eat in the home of of Levi? Why would he eat, eat with these tax collectors and sinners And if we're not careful, we can begin to identify ourselves maybe a little bit more with the Pharisees than than with Levi. I know there are other barriers to being on mission at home. But I want to think a little bit about how do we overcome those barriers? How do we we get past the lack of margin and the time it takes? Or how do we get past the the uncomfortability and the, the difficulty that this can be sometimes? The key to overcoming these barriers is from the motivation for being on mission at home. You see, if there is a powerful enough motivation that is driving us to be on mission at home, if we feel motivated to such an extent, that motivation will begin to make those barriers less They'll begin to push us beyond the time constraints we may feel or the uncomfortability we may feel. So what could motivate us? What could be the motivation to motivate us to be on mission in our homes to such an extent that it would overcome those barriers? Let's look back at our text from Mark 2. Levi was motivated to be on mission in his home. He has no problem inviting people over to dinner with Jesus. He makes the time. He doesn't seem to care about his comfort, right? He is, he's inspired. So what is it that motivated Levi? What is it that got him to open up his home to these tax collectors and sinners? What, what motivates him to do this? Well, it seems pretty clear that what's motivating Levi is what Jesus had just done for him. Jesus had reached out to him, A hated, despised tax collector. And he invited Levi to come and follow him. Levi was on the receiving end of Jesus' mission. And because Levi experienced that invitation as really good news, he is now motivated to share that good news with his friends. With the other tax collectors and the sinners that he knows because he's just experienced that good news himself. When Jesus overhears the Pharisees asking the disciples why he eats with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus' reply in verse 17 is, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Levi saw himself as one of the sick, as one of those sinners whom Jesus had called. And because of that, he cared about his friends who were also spiritually sick. And in need of a doctor. And so in order to introduce them to Jesus, who he realized they need to know him, he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to host a dinner party. I'm going to invite them all over so they can meet Jesus. The Pharisees, on the other hand, did not see themselves as spiritually sick. They did not see themselves as in need of healing from Jesus. They saw themselves as spiritually healthy, as righteous, which they attributed to their own work and effort. And on the outside, it sure looked like they were righteous and healthy. But Jesus knew that, that much deeper inside, there was a lot of unhealthiness, unrighteousness going on in those Pharisees' lives. They just didn't acknowledge it. And so they viewed themselves as being above the tax collectors and sinners. And if those tax collectors and sinners, if they wanted to be healthy and righteous like them, it was up to them to start shaping up. They needed to get their act together before they can come and have dinner at my house. So the motivation for being on mission at home is to recognize that you are a recipient of Jesus' mission. That you need it just as much as Levi did, as those tax collectors and sinners did, and as the Pharisees did too. You are one of those spiritually sick people in need of a doctor. You are a sinner and need of Jesus' call. And just like Levi, Jesus called you. And he healed you. If that's you, if you're a believer, if you've received that, you can say, hey, I received that healing. I've, I've been invited into, into God's kingdom. And when you recognize that, and you see yourself in that light, it changes how you see your neighbors and your friends who are not believers. You see yourself in them. And you want them to experience what you've experienced. And so you make time in your schedule to be with them. And you sacrifice some comfort in order to open your home to them. You realize that Jesus made time in his schedule to draw near to you. And Jesus sacrificed his comfort and beyond just his comfort, he sacrificed his life in order to open up his eternal home for you. So how can we talk about our time and comfort as excuses for not reaching out to our neighbors who desperately need Jesus just as much as we do. This gospel motivation is the only thing that will have the staying power to keep you on mission at home. But I want to end today by giving just a few practical steps that I hope will move you in this direction and and give some specificity to how to begin living this way. So here are just four really quick Practical steps of what you could do tomorrow, what you could do this week to start moving in this direction. If it feels like, ah, that feels so overwhelming still, and I'm scared, here's where you start. First, pray. Pray that God would open your heart to your neighbors, that he'd help you see them as he sees them. Pray that God would give you the courage to open up your home for his mission. Pray for your neighbors as you're getting to know them. Pray Pray for them by name. Pray that God would open up opportunities to get to know them better. Pray that they would hear Jesus call to them and experience his healing in their lives. Spend time praying for your neighborhood and your neighbors and for God to change your heart towards people who he loves desperately. Second, examine your schedule. Do you have margin in your life? Do you have time for relationships with your neighbors? Do you have time in your schedule to open your home to other people? Or do you need to make some changes in your schedule? To create more margin. One of the, the helpful suggestions on this point that I, that I heard in that book that I mentioned earlier, Next Door As It Is In Heaven, is instead of thinking about adding more activities and events into your life to get to know your neighbors, think about alignment. How can you align the, the rhythms in your life to the rhythms of those people in your life? For instance, guess what? Each and every one of us, we, we probably all eat about 21 meals every week, right? And you're going to have to eat, right? I mean, you can maybe cut back a, a couple of those, but, but you're, you have to eat food, right? So what if you thought about aligning some of those meals that you're already going to eat with other people, with people outside of just your family, maybe inviting them into your family? What if you, what if you just said, I'm going to try to take two or three meals a week to try to use those as a way to connect with My neighbors or to connect with people who I know who I kind of know as acquaintances but I don't really know them real well or maybe people who are not believers and I want to just get to know them so that Jesus might open up an opportunity or maybe on another topic discipleship maybe getting alongside of someone who's a younger believer in our church and walking with them having lunch with them eating a meal with them third talk to others about this Don't just think about these things on your own. Don't just pray by yourself about these things and talk and kind of think on your own. But start talking about these things with the people in your life who they will also impact. If you're married, talk to your spouse about this. That's your homework for any of you married folks out there. Talk about this with your spouse. How can you, as a couple, start to create more margin in your life to get to know your neighbors. Talk with your spouse about what it would take to open up your home to people in your your community more, to invite people into that. Um, And and guess what, when you do that, talk about the barriers, talk about the fears, talk about the logistical challenges that 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 idea comes up in your mind when you think about it. But talk about it together and pray about it together and start to think about it together. If you're you're not married, if if you're single or if you live alone, Talk with a friend. Talk with someone else who might be able to encourage you in this. And maybe you can partner with someone else to do this. Maybe it feels like a little bit overwhelming to do this in your home. So then talk to some other people about how you could do it together. Maybe you can do that. Maybe someone else's home might be more hospitable. But let me be a part of that with that other family or that other individual. Think about how how we can do this together as a church. How we can... Use our homes for God's mission, for God's glory. Fourth, extend an invitation. Step out and give it a shot. Invite a neighbor over for dinner. When hosting a party, be intentional about who you invite. Invite, Try to invite a mix of friends who are believers and those who aren't. The next time you see a neighbor outside, don't just run inside or, or feel like you're too busy, but strike up a conversation with them. If it's someone who you've maybe seen many, many times, you don't know their name, go up to them and say, you know what? Hey, I think we live near each other. I feel really embarrassed, but I don't know your name. My name is so-and-so. I just wanted to introduce myself to you, and I'd love to, you know, get to know you as my neighbor. Strike up a conversation with them. Ask them questions to get to know them. People who maybe you do know, think about a question maybe you could ask to start to get that ball rolling into a little bit deeper level. Brothers and sisters, We are the church. We are those whom God has called to himself. And God has called us into his mission. His mission to reach this world. We are the church in mission. And that includes where we live. That is a big part of where we spend a lot of our time. Let's not think about being on mission only in certain places. We are on mission where we live. So let's get to know our neighbors the people who need to know Jesus, who don't already. Let's open our homes to be used in mission. Let's show hospitality, as we heard in the scripture reading earlier. Let's sacrifice our time and our comfort. And as I'm preaching this, I'm preaching it to myself. Because I need to do this too. I need to grow in this. This is conversations that Rochelle and I are having. How can we do this more with our neighbors? Let's do that together. Let's not be afraid to have those conversations, to talk about our fears. And as we do this... Let's do all of this in response to what Jesus has done for us, calling us sinners to himself, healing us from our spiritual sickness, sacrificing everything in order to welcome us into his eternal home. Praise God that we are recipients of Jesus' mission and praise God that we get to participate in that same mission to reach more and more people with his good news. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that for some of us, this, this feels overwhelming. Some of us, it feels scary. We'd love to just kind of have our safe lives and our safe homes and, and think about mission as something that's away from us. But Lord, we know that you're, you're calling us to something much more. That you actually have something for our good when we dive into this sort of ministry, Lord. That you have people who you want us to meet, stories who you want us to hear You want us to see people's lives transformed. You you want us to see you at work in people's lives, bringing hope to people who have no hope and bringing healing to people who are broken. Lord, you want us to be a part of that as your ambassadors, as your representatives. And and we so often flee from that. We're scared of it. Help us to see the the opportunities you're placing before us. Help us to run to them, Lord. we can't do it in our own strength and, and, and we're going to fail so often, Lord, but, but we know that your spirit can empower us. And so we pray that you would do that, God, that you would work in our hearts, God, to once again be in awe of your good news of how much you've done for us, that we, we can't help but share that news with others, that we'd be like Levi, we want to just show, throw a party for all these tax collectors and sinners in our, that are all around us so they could get to know you, so they can meet you, Jesus. So do that, Lord. I pray that that for each one of us who are here today, Lord, that you would show maybe just one practical step of way that we can start to move in this direction in our lives. And that you do that, Lord, as as a body, that we share those stories with each other. We'd encourage one another along the way. We want to be your church on mission. And so shape us and change us in these ways. We invite your spirit to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.